everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. We hope that you find encouragement today as you listen. I woke up earlier than, than normal this morning. I couldn't go back to sleep, so I needed a few cups of coffee um, to keep going. So if I do fall asleep up here, just quietly leave. Just uh, <laughs> preach. I'm, I'm getting a little older than some of you, and uh, just respect that. Just quietly. Just shut the lights out when you leave, okay? Wouldn't that be wild? Uh, there's a phrase that some of you are familiar with, uh, most of you probably. It's, it's, it, uh, the, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And it's set in connection with children who, uh, who show qualities or talents that are similar to those of their parents, right? You've heard it said, boy, that apple didn't fall far from the tree. Hopefully it's in a, in a good way. I have some examples here. Let's see if you can identify these apples that didn't fall far from the tree. Uh, Jack and Joel, Archie and Peyton, Judy and Liza. Those are, those are simple, aren't they, for those of no, maybe were born after uh, 1960, Donald and Kiefer. So uh, you may not know the top one. That's Jack and Joe Buck. Joe's a popular television um, uh, broadcaster, and his dad was really popular. And, of course, the, the Mannings. We should have had uh, 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 the brother in there. Um, What's his name? Eli. Yeah, thanks, Eli. And, and of course, Liza Minnelli and, and, uh, and her mother, Judy Garland. And these are people who their children were as good or as qualified in, in their area of expertise and uh, kind of the family business, right? You see that all over. If I asked you some, like, we could just keep naming them, people that you see. Well, that, that, that woman is doing exactly what her mother did or that person there just took over the family business. In Wisconsin, for years we had that because we have family farms, and, uh, and you just had large families hoping that one of the kids would take the farm or, or else help with the crops and, and um, milking the cows in some cases. And, uh, but family business, uh, um, and you could say that's the case, children following in the family business. This morning, as we continue on our journey through the Gospel of John, we discover that uh, apples do fall close to the tree in, in, in this text, and, uh, or the apple, and, it, and it's just a beautiful partnership in the family business. There's my air quotes, okay? So look at this scripture. Let me just pray first. Father, thank you for this opportunity to look to your word, and we ask you today, Lord, to uh, bring refreshing to our hearts and, uh, and speak to us, Lord. Thanks for every life here today. Lord, you love each of us, and... You're pursuing each of us in a special way as we pursue you. In fact, we, we, we love you because you first loved us, as the gospel writer wrote in his letter. Uh, and we, uh, we really do. The reason we can, can follow after you is because you, uh, you came after us when we were the one lost sheep or the lost coin. And uh, we thank you, uh, Lord Jesus, that uh, you're still pursuing our prodigal hearts and you're wooing us back to you. Uh, again, Lord, speak to us in these moments. We ask Jesus in your name. Amen. So look at this here. Uh, John chapter 5. Uh, we, we, we were looking a couple weeks ago uh, at just what's taking place in John chapter 5. And uh, the, here, here we see, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. Um, what were the things he was doing? If you have your Bibles open, or if you remember, the context is... Uh, and we touched on a little bit last week for our 70th anniversary celebration because we were once called Bethesda. Well, Jesus 
walked by the pool of Bethesda, which was just on the outskirts of the ancient city of Jerusalem, where it was just the hub of all of Judaism, all the Jewish worship. They had the temple there. And Jesus is going to a, one of these religious holidays and festivals, and he walks past the, uh, the pool of Bethesda, and he, he speaks to a man who was just hoping and waiting for healing and because he'd been lame for 38 years, and he told him, pick up your, your mat, pick up your blow-up mattress and, 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 and walk. And, uh, and he was able to do that because Jesus uh, had such authority and, and spoke healing into that man's life and his condition. Uh, this is, uh, and, and this is, again, uh, religious holidays in Jerusalem, things inflated uh, probably five times, ten times, who knows. Uh, they said over a million people could gather in that, that small city because they'd come from all over the region to celebrate and to worship God. And this was a Jewish festival. And the religious leaders, get this, uh, they saw this guy carrying his, they had no idea that he'd been healed. They they weren't really tracking with the fact that this guy had a breakthrough that was otherworldly. This man had a miracle. A miracle is when heaven comes to earth and disrupts our earth and, uh, and, and in a good way. And, a, and this is just what happened. This man was supernaturally healed, and he's carrying around his blow-up mattress. And, and what do the Pharisees say? Hey, hey, buddy, why are you carrying your bed on the Sabbath? They looked right past the, the fact that the man has, uh, has, has experienced such victory, and they were clueless because they were more concerned about the Sabbath. Now, there's a controversy surrounding Sabbath. Uh, it was an ongoing contention between Jesus and the religious leaders. Probably not long before this, Jesus had healed a woman who had been, uh, had been broken for, I think, 18 years up in the Galilee region, all right, up, in, uh, uh, up by the Sea of Galilee. And now he's, he's at this festival, and he heals this man here. And every time he would do it, uh, or whenever he would do something spectacular on the Sabbath, it would, uh, it would bring indifference and frustration on behalf of the religious leaders. And you can see that as you read through the Gospels. You see, uh, there were four central things in Judaism that they kept sacred. You had the temple, all right, very sacred. You had the law. You had their tradition, which was, you know, extended beyond, you know, the law. And then you had the Sabbath. Now, here's the deal. Every religion in the region, say that five times really fast, every religion in the region, not really, every religion in the region had a temple. They had a scripture of some sort and probably traditions to go with it. What no religion in the region had was a Sabbath. And this Sabbath and the Sabbath to Judaism is and uh, is now and was very sacred. It's special. You can see it. God laid it out. It's one of the top ten, top ten commandments, uh, that we're to take a day of the week, work six, take a day and rest and worship God on that day. And it's, and it's a beautiful thing. And uh, what had happened in Jesus' day is uh, they devoted hundreds of regulations to assure that rest and no work on the Sabbath occurred. In fact, there was a Sabbath journey that was only, you could only go uh, about three quarters of a mile, and that was the limit. That's about 3,600 feet if you're counting. 
in your, in your chairs this morning. They could not pull a head of wheat. You're walking, you know, you're 3,600 feet and you see some grain along the road. And if you just, you know, if you ever pick, I, I, I you see long pieces of grass that grow at certain times of summer. I like to grab it and they take the stem and stick it through your teeth. Uh, I've done that. Uh, and if you did that in, on the Sabbath in, in Jesus' day, you weren't allowed, because that would be considered harvest, to just pick that blade of grass or that little kernel of wheat. And then, oh, Lord help you, if you took that little, that little piece of wheat and just kind of rubbed it in your palm, that would be considered harvesting. I mean, they had rules upon rules upon rules on how to keep the Sabbath holy and to keep it sacred because it was very special to them. And Jesus came in and blew up their world when he didn't, uh, he healed somebody on this. You just didn't do that. That wasn't allowed. You had to wait till Sunday because their Sabbath was on Saturday or Monday to heal the man and, uh, or to, to do healing. And so he, the, the, what happened was this persecution began to happen. They began to uh, pursue Jesus and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and again, not for healing, not for healing the man, but for the day that Jesus did do it. Look at here at verses 17 through 18. It said, in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father's always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making him equal with God. Now, when you read that phrase, that sentence or two above, do you get that from that paragraph? You probably didn't. But they did because they understood the magnitude of the statement. My father is always at work to this very day. My father, what he just did there is he's not our father, our heavenly father, or they may not even have called him father much in that culture. Yeah, they, they dared not even try to name who he was. They, Elohim, um, Yahweh. Uh, but here's Jesus saying not just the father, but my father. And they recognized in saying that, that he was saying that he was equal with God, that there was, there was something at work there that they, they saw as blasphemous. Uh, my father's always at work. I like that. I just I thought of something. Uh, what Jesus was saying in his response there, uh, and, and he says, this is, this is my defense. Uh, my father is always at work, and, and so am I. And, and I, just, I just thought this and penned this, and that's because uh, God uh, is, he, he doesn't take a day off. His, his love doesn't take a day off. This is what Jesus is saying. Uh, his compassion doesn't take a vacation, all right? In their minds, they literally were finding a way to keep it, the rules, trying to be faithful to what the scripture said, they would bypass compassion and love so as to be true to the word. And, and the ink, the very last you know, dot and T that they were crossing. And what Jesus was saying, listen, my love's not gonna take a break, not gonna take a day off. My compassion is not gonna take a vacation. The father and the son are at work right now. And they got even angrier, as we can see here. And uh, they were incensed. That equality with God, they did not... Uh, that was blasphemous for them. Look at verse 19. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also, the son also does. 
You see what's taking place? Are you familiar with apprenticeships? I've had some, some gentlemen in the church. One, I think he was, a, he was a, an electrician and he was an apprentice. And he would literally follow a master electrician around for a period of time and, and study and, and learn the craft. And apprenticeships are, are big in our country and a lot of the trades. They're big all over the world. Uh, you can go to cultures where people take a year, sometimes seven years as an apprentice before they are, they are licensed or qualified to be a, a master plumber, electrician, bricklayer, stonemason, whatever. Uh, and what you're seeing here is Jesus is giving this picture of a father-son apprenticeship. And the reason why the apple doesn't fall far from the tree is because there's an apprenticeship that Jesus... Now, listen, we're talking about God here. We're talking about the mystery of the Godhead. We call it the Trinity. We call it three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But Jesus is trying to unpack it to an ancient culture and face it, we're probably just as ancient when it comes to this kind of mystery of a God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But Jesus is saying there's an apprenticeship happening here. Uh, uh, The Son can do nothing by himself. He is close to the Father and he is mimicking the Father and he's learning from the Father's craft and and his heart. He's learning how to love as the Father loves. He's learning how to work as the Father works. He does only what he sees the Father doing. That's why the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. That's why a family business is a family business and it succeeds because the heart of the, of the, the effort is passed on to the generation, to the son, to the daughter. The father loves his son and he's showing him everything he is doing. Greater works... I like that. Greater works are yet to come is what, as you kind of read through it, the next couple of verses, if you have your, your Bible open there, greater works. And I like that, even astonishing works. You see, Israel's God is working in a new way. This is new covenant time. This is preparing for the covenant of Christ and his cross. And there's a lot of old, we call Old Testament, Old Covenant. There's a lot that they understood to be uh, yea and amen. And Jesus is introducing a new yea and a new amen into the earth because it's the Father introducing it. And he's mirroring and he's mimicking what the Father is doing. Remember, you're way too young, most of you, to remember this, but I can just talk to some of the older folks. So if you're, if you're under 40, you can just, just rest for a minute. But do you remember the commercial? I think it was an anti-tobacco commercial where the son uh, was following his dad all around the yard. His dad was washing the car, and he would wash the car. His dad was raking the leaves, and he would rake the leaves. And then his dad lit up a cigarette, and the kid picked up a, you know, a stick and tried to smoke the stick or whatever. And it was back in the day when you know, when there's a lot more cigarette ads. And I, I guess, I don't know if it was the government that paid for this, but it basically saying, what you do is what he's going to do. And uh, that's what I think we are seeing here that Jesus is saying, there's a oneness here. No, not, not smoking cigarettes. There is a oneness here in, in, in the eternal God that when you see what Jesus is doing throughout the Gospels, understand that's the heart of God. Some of you have had problems reading the Old Testament. And I would say this, now don't quote me, uh, just don't read the Old Testament for a while. Just learn who Jesus is. Just get to know Jesus and who he says the Father is. And then when you read the Old Testament, take Jesus with you. Do not go to the Old Testament without Jesus. That'll, some of you are going, is, that, is, is Pastor Brian gone blasphemous on us? No, this is good stuff. 
is probably the best thing you've heard me say in a while. Get to know Jesus as Jesus got to know the Father. Because the Father in the Old Testament, you say, how could it be? Is the same Father in the New Testament? Because, because what Jesus is giving us is the true identity of God the Father, the creator of all things. Israel's God is working in a, in a new way, and Jesus is working alongside the Father to unveil the master plan. And look at this, the astonishing thing. Here's the astonishing thing. For just as the Father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. A couple of weeks ago, I talked to you about much of Israel, by the time of Jesus, believed in resurrection. You, you maybe couldn't find it in the first five books of the Old Testament, but as they progressed, the prophets, they began to see that God was at, about something bigger. And that's where I, I read my Bible as a story, not as a, as a flat thing, this is here, this is here. I read it as a progressive story from Genesis all the way to Christ's return in Revelation. And that's why the, the early, and, and many of the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the, I believe it was the scribes who, who understood, many of the rabbis, that there was a resurrection. The prophets had prophesied about it. Daniel had said it this way. He said, many of those, in, in Daniel chapter 12, if you're taking notes, verse 2, many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. So this was an Old Testament prophet Daniel in Babylon writing about a future resurrection. You probably couldn't find that in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. But as God's story was being unveiled and revealed, there was this understanding that, hey, God's not done with you. You're just not going to be born, grow old, die and turn to dust, but that he actually is eternal and he longs for eternal relationships and he's placed the eternal in his children. Uh, so Jesus was saying that resurrection power was now at hand and taking place. It was a popular Jewish belief in his day, like I said, that God would raise the dead. Now Jesus is saying that resurrection power is now and it's taking place. And then he modeled that in a couple places in the Gospels, uh, the other three Gospels. We're in John now. We call the other three that are so much alike, the synoptics, in a dead woman's son, uh, the widow's son, also uh, the daughter of, of Jairus. Uh, and then later in, in the Gospel of John, we see the beautiful story of the resurrection. I think we already touched on it. We got a glimpse of that already in our connect groups. So there's at least three resurrection sightings in Jesus' in Jesus' ministry. So maybe Jesus is talking a little bit about this, you know, uh, so the son gives life to anyone who wants. I think right here, he's, he's, he's going a little bit deeper and unpacking something that I'm still trying to wrap my brain around, and hopefully I can communicate it as we, as we kind of draw this to a close this morning. The father gives resurrection life. The son gives life to anyone he wants. And the prologue, the, the introduction to the Gospel of John, which is so beautiful, the first several verses, uh, he, uh, the Gospel writer talks about anyone who receives him and believes in him has the right to become 
a child of God. So believing and receiving Jesus Christ, and we see this kind of in this last phrase, so the son gives life to anyone he wants, but I think it's more than that being, John chapter three, being born from above or born again, right? And Nicodemus, we talked about that. I think it's more than Jesus' promise of living water and the woman at the well. I think, it's, I think it's more than that. I think it has to do, I think it's a resurrection sighting. And we've had a couple hints and now we're getting kind of a full-blown picture. Hey, Jesus was one of those who believed in resurrection and he's just told us that he is God. So that means, and this is really good news, God the Father believes in resurrection this morning because Jesus believed in it. And he didn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> in fact, he was the tree and he is the tree. We're just, we're drawing from him, right? But uh, that, is, uh, that, is, that is the encouraging thing. And, and those born from above receive more than a spiritual experience that, like I said, that living water. And I, here's how I say, the miraculous seed of resurrection is planted in our lives as Christ's followers. Okay, I don't know if, I'm not even sure I'm capable of unpacking, I'm still processing this, but here's what I'm saying. It's just what Jesus is, I believe, saying here. So the son gives life to anyone he wants. It's not just that being born from above, but I believe what's been planted in us as we have said yes to Jesus Christ, as we have become followers, is some kind of a supernatural resurrection seed. And when we die someday, that seed is active and we live. And then one day, the really amazing thing is God's, gonna, uh, God's going to restore all things, including a physical body for us. And I know this is way too sci-fi for most of you, but that's what resurrection is. That's what Jesus was teaching. That's what the early, uh, the first century Jewish followers understood. Resurrection was that God had a time and a place in space where he was going to raise up our lives uh, in, in newness of life in, in a place, and it wasn't necessarily as far off place. They looked at that place as being here in this beautiful creation of his. So those born will receive that, that, um, that resurrection power. Look at here in verse 24. Uh, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins but they have already passed from death to life. All right, so they've already passed from death to life. The, miracul the miraculous of the resurrection is taking place inside of them. Uh, they have been born from above. They are passing from death to life. Of course, I just, I just think there's something, and John is so spiritual, and there's so much color to his writing as, and, and as he gives us the words of Jesus that the other gospels don't necessarily give us uh, as, as it's, it's just, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful journey through John. But there's, there's just something at work in resurrection. I wanna just propose to you that what's in you is greater than just when you die, but literally there is something at work in us because this is God's plan. What God does in the present, he will complete in the future, and he's doing something presently in you. And this mysterious, supernatural seed is working in you. In verses 28 and 29, and we kind of, we'll start to wrap it here. I want to share one other thing with you here in a moment. But don't be so surprised, Jesus says, 
Uh, indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son, and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life, and those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. So Jesus is unpacking even more. That day is going to come. The Son's going to make the call. God's going to call it forth, and, and life will happen. Those of us, I always, I always assure myself that my, there's an Old Testament scripture that says my righteousness is as filthy rags, and I, 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 I fall so, so short. So if it becomes a works thing, I realize that my works are, as a follower of Jesus, are, are, are identified in him and the work that he did at the cross. So that just doesn't become a wolf. If, I, if I'm really good, then, then I'm going to rise to righteousness and eternal life. No, it's not. You know, you want, you want to model your life after your Lord. You want to follow Jesus. But we can't get caught up in a works, a works game. But we, we, uh, we find ourselves and our strength in his, uh, in his person and, uh, and uh, in his embrace, so to speak. And so... Uh, my good is not really good except that I'm growing in Christ and I'm becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, okay? So I don't know if that makes sense. I just, I'm always cautious that somebody goes out and they just, they just try to go on a good campaign. Yes, of course we do. We want to be like Jesus, but we fall and we fail, but that's not going to eliminate us from the final resurrection outcome. If we are, uh, if we are committed to Christ and within his embrace, so to speak, as, as Christ followers, that... Uh, uh, that his righteousness is what I lean into, all right? So uh, the heavenly father, he's about family business, all right? The heavenly family has a family business, and it's about, uh, it's about resurrecting and restoring and rescuing through forgiveness and grace, okay? I like that. There's a family business that I think just in this passage, Jesus is about rescuing and restoring uh, through his forgiveness and through his grace. And we've all, uh, we've all, most of us here have, have encountered that grace and that forgiveness. And the result is, man, we are being rescued from our brokenness and from our waywardness. And we're being restored from our, our brokenness and our pain. And that's really the great news. And I see if there's a family business at work in this passage, it's that, that God, through the power of his son and the father, are lovingly pursuing humanity, not just in the first century, but in the 21st century. The heart of the father is made evident through the work of the son, all right? Uh, uh, to know the son, you know, we're saying, who is Jesus? Who's the real Jesus? To know the son is to know the father, because that apple didn't fall far from the tree, all right? I want to invite the worship team to come up here. I want to read you something, uh, uh, and it's, it's kind of in context, but it's, I think, I think a, a question that I have is, okay, if, if there's something in me that's of, of resurrection worth and value and power, then what do I do with it? If there's a mysterious unseen scene, we we're talking about unseen things today, this morning. Uh, we we're singing about that. And I, and, and the lyrics, I was just saying, man, this, this is all kind of tying into what I, I want to try to say. But if, if, there, if there is that, is there a way to practice what God has planted in me? This powerful resurrection 
founded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that's a part of our future journey in Christ. And, uh, and uh, Eugene Peterson years ago wrote a book, uh, a, The Practice of Resurrection, A Conversation on Growing Up in Christ. And he actually borrowed the term practice resurrection from uh, Wendell Berry, a, 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 po- a poet. But there's, there's just a, there's a, f- a couple things I just wanted to read here. And it's just a paragraph or two. And, and it's so colorful, and yet it's so poignant and, and so powerful. And just listen to this. See, Peterson says, Church is an appointed gathering of named people in a particular place or particular places who practice a life of resurrection in a world in which death gets the biggest headlines. It's quite a statement, isn't it? And it's true. Listen. Death of nations, death of civilizations, death of marriage, death of careers, obituaries without end, death by war, death by murder, death by accident, death by starvation, death by electric chair, lethal injection, and hanging. The practice of resurrection is an intentional, deliberate decision to believe and participate in resurrection life, life out of death. Life that trumps death. Life that is the last word, Jesus' life. I'm going to read that again, okay? The practice of resurrection, just a sentence. The practice of resurrection is an intentional, deliberate decision to believe and participate in resurrection life, life out of death, life that trumps death, life that is the last word, Jesus life. This practice is not a vague wish upwards, but uh, comprises a number of discrete but interlocking acts that maintain a credible and faithful way of life. And what he's saying there is there's things we do in our Christian walk to practice resurrection. All right? Worship of God, like we're doing this morning. The acceptance of resurrection, which we're talking about today. We're after to this morning, you're all believers in resurrection, right? The acceptance of that born from above, uh, identified with Christ in baptism. The identification of resurrection in the formation by eating and, and drinking of Christ's body and his, his sacrifice and his blood. We celebrate that once a month and sometimes more than once a month. Attentive reading and obedience of the revelation of God in the scripture. Prayer that cultivates intimacy. Confession and forgiveness of sins. This is how we practice resurrection. Welcoming the stranger and the outcast. Working and speaking for peace and justice. Healing and truth, sanctity and beauty. Care for all the stuff of creation. The practice of resurrection encourages uh, improvisation on the, the basic resurrection story as given in our scriptures and revealed in Jesus. So what he's saying there, I think, is, is as you leave this place today, realize the resurrection seed is planted in you, and it's not just to lay dormant. Of course, one day it will come to life as we are laid to rest or when Christ returns, but this is a powerful thing. That, that, that needs to be stirred up and needs to be practiced in the way that we pursue the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. We are resurrection people and we can practice resurrection. 
I love that. Stand with me. There's one scripture, one more scripture before we sing a song and, and pray together. It's, a, it's in Romans chapter 8. I think we have it up there. Do we have it, guys? Yep. No, okay. It's not in the back. There it is. Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 11. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Uh, that kind of speaks for itself. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God is residing in you. And you can get filled up with the Spirit. The Apostle Paul said, be filled with the Spirit. It can be an ongoing thing. You can shake, you can bake, you can fall, you can be stoic, you can be warmed over. The fact is, He's sovereign and He fills us. He fills us up and He gives us resurrection power. If the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, it's going to quicken your mortal body. Now, He said, Pastor Brian, I'm enough of a theologian to know that that's going to be the end time. And, and when Christ raises everybody from the dead, you are right. Theologian breath, you are right. But the truth is, I believe, my truth is, and I, I, and I want you to see this, that there's, there's, a, there's a seed of resurrection in us, and that that is also stirring us and raising us up in the condition that we are in right now, and the, and the, and the place that we are in and the struggles we are in. I've always believed and grabbed a hold of that as a promise. Holy Spirit, if you can raise Jesus from the dead, you can raise me from my death, from my brokenness, from my condition of need, okay? They say, Pastor Brian, you're taking liberty. Maybe, but it works. Because, and I think it's because what we see with Jesus talking in this Gospel of John, that resurrection is a part of this salvation, that it's, it's already there and it's preparing us for the end resurrection. But let's be alive right now. Let's take the life of the kingdom wherever we go and let's be healed by the life of the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead and can raise us, okay? So I, I sow that into your hearts today. And we have those to pray in, we pray underneath the balcony at the close. If you've got a need today, a measure of brokenness or something that you're wrestling with, don't leave here today. I'm up front. If, you, if there's not enough back there, I will pray with you. We'll agree together. We will pray and look to the Spirit of God to bring resurrection and wholeness to you today, okay? I need it. I don't know about you, but I need it today. I, I woke up at 2 o'clock this morning. I couldn't go back to sleep. And it was the strangest deal. I'd gone to bed a little bit earlier, had a little bit of a headache going on, and I don't know what's all going on, but I need some resurrection infusion. I need the Spirit of God to do something in my life today. So I'm gonna pray for myself, or maybe one of you can pray with me, okay? The Word says, wherever two or more gather in His name, that, that, that God honors that, and, and that, that, that He comes and He meets with us. There's power in our prayer. And so if you have a need today, I just want to, I want to, I want to encourage you, don't leave here without being prayed for, okay? All right. I just want to close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love and your modeling and your mirroring of the God of heaven. God the Father, God the Son, so close, so one. God the Spirit, Jesus, thank you for coming here and unpacking such revelation and such truth. Thank you, Lord, for these scriptures that have been retained through the centuries that bring life to us today. And it's a supernatural life because 
because there's been that seed sown of resurrection into our hearts and lives. For that day and for this day, for now and forever, Jesus, we thank you for that. Lord, meet us here as we pray together, as we draw this service to a close. Holy Spirit of God, would you quicken our conditions today even as you quickened the Lord Jesus Christ and raised him from the dead? Would you come, Lord Jesus, and lay your hand upon our hearts and our lives and our heads and speak life over our broken condition, whatever it is today? Lord, we need you. We are hungry. We are thirsty. And you said it from that mountain in the Beatitudes. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Lord, we're hungry and thirsty in this moment. Come and fill us, heal us, and restore us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, check out our website at www.ridgeway.church.